0: Luke chapter five verses one through eleven, and there now Luke uh, moving into uh, further and further into the public ministry of Jesus, away from that inaugural section that we've looked at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Now Luke says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on, in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures Forever. Well, there are two, two kinds of people in the world. There are those people that know how to fish, and then there are those people like me that wish they knew how to fish. I get to sort of vicariously live through my sons as I watch them catch nine-pound bass, wishing I'd had that experience as a child, wishing I knew how to fish. Uh, there is an old adage, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. Um, it's always reassuring To me, uh, God's perfect wisdom when we look at scripture, that the very first thing that we read God say to man at creation is have dominion over the fish. And the very thing that Jesus, the God-man, says to his disciples at his first interaction with them is, I am going to make you fishers of men. It's a beautiful, beautiful parallel. The Lord Jesus is here gathering his disciples. He has moved on from his own public ministry. He has exhibited his power. He has spoken that word of power over, uh, over sickness, over demonic activity, over the forces of evil. Jesus has shown that he is the almighty and infinite powerful savior. And he has shown that there was power and authority in his preaching. He has come to proclaim the kingdom of God. He has come to fulfill everything. His ministry has begun. He has overthrown the forces of darkness, as it were. He is now pressing into the land to take possession of it for his people. And as he does so, the Lord Jesus decides that he is not going to do it alone, that the Father had purposed in eternity that that Jesus would call a people to be co-laborers with him. It's one of those marvelous things it's it's conceivable that that god could have come into this world as he did born of a virgin grown up exactly like he did began his public ministry as we've seen luke set it out being baptized in the jordan and being driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one and and then going and preaching and doing all those things that we've most recently seen and it's conceivable humanly speaking that he could have just kept going on his own all the way to the cross and done everything by himself. But God had purposed in himself that he would gather to himself that apostolic band, um, uneducated men, untrained men, and he would mentor them and he would teach them and he would instruct them. These are not, these are not effeminate weak sauce men. These are fishermen. These are leathery-skinned fishermen. Jesus has decided, I am going to take these roughshod men, I am going to call them to myself, I am going to instruct them, I am going to make them my disciples, and they are going to go out and they will make disciples, and the world will be turned upside down. Yes, on what I am doing in my work of redemption, but what I'm doing through them in the ministry I'm calling them to. And so it's fitting as Luke is moving out into the ministry of Jesus that we have this first account, and we have Jesus there on the boat by the shore in the Lake of Gennesaret preaching, continuing that preaching ministry, and we're going to see this morning two things as we look together at this account. First, we're going to see the call to discipleship, and then secondly, we're going to see the essence of discipleship, the call and the essence of discipleship. We'll notice Luke says, On one occasion, it's as if Luke is saying there were many, many things that were happening and Jesus was doing many things, but this one thing stuck out to Luke. It stood out in his mind. Now, I actually think that if we read this passage in light of the original context of this book, we would have to conclude that what Luke is doing is he is setting out for his friend Theophilus One theologian actually said he believed Theophilus might have been his brother. It's not substantiated. But here are brothers, fishermen, who are being called to be the first disciples. And Luke is setting out this account to say to Theophilus, Oh, Theophilus, this is what a disciple is. This is how discipleship happens. This is what discipleship looks like theophilus i want you to be a a disciple of jesus too luke had become a disciple himself and so he's fascinated on this one occasion as he puts it while the crowd was pressing in on jesus to hear the word of god he was standing by the lake of gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets now um Luke is already honing in on Simon Peter. Everything is moving to Simon Peter and the interaction between Jesus and Peter, though Peter's brother Andrew and James and John are there, all of them, fishermen, all of them having lucrative fishing businesses, as it were. Uh, We're told in one of the gospel records that two of the disciples, James and John, their father owned a company of fishing boats. And so they were set to take over for their father. They are doing what they know how to do. And yet here is Jesus, and he is positioned very close to them, and he is preaching the word. He has strategically positioned himself for everything that's going to happen in this account. He has put himself there so that it happens exactly like it's going to happen. Now, when we consider the call to discipleship, we first have to consider that as we saw last week and the week before, the call to discipleship is always squarely grounded on Jesus preaching and proclaiming the gospel preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God and calling people to follow him. So discipleship always happens through the verbal proclamation of the gospel and Jesus saying, come, follow me. And Jesus is going to do that here. He is going to call Peter. No doubt he is calling others. We're we're actually told that he preaches a sermon on Peter's boat, one that Peter himself doesn't really understand. Now, it's interesting Simon Peter's already familiar with Jesus. He's already met Jesus. Jesus has been in the home of his mother-in-law and has healed her of that fever. In that last passage, we've already seen that, that Luke tells us that Simon's mother-in-law was in his house, and Jesus came into Simon's house, and he healed his mother-in-law, of rebuking the fever. So there is some acquaintance. Simon Peter has already been with Jesus maybe for several days, maybe for several weeks. He's had the Savior in his home, and here now he is out on his fishing boats. He is uh, mending his nets, washing and taking care of his nets, cleaning his boat. He had been out all night um, fishing, and, and here Jesus comes, and I'm um, supposing at some point that Jesus asked him if he could use his boat, and Peter very quickly said yes, yes. Um, It's very interesting to me that a man can give Jesus a platform without actually knowing who Jesus is really and truly don't miss that here Jesus is going to be in Peter's boat preaching a sermon from Peter's boat Peter is going to hear that but we find out the end of this passage he doesn't really know yet who Jesus is And so people can give to the church, people can serve in the church, people can promote this ministry or that ministry or this pastor or that theologian without knowing the Jesus that they are willingly promoting. It's actually a very sobering thought. Here, Peter is acquainted enough to allow Jesus to use his boat as a pulpit from which Jesus preached to the people. Now, I like to imagine it was a calm day there on the Lake of Gennesaret, and Jesus is His voice is echoing, as it were, off of the water. He is proclaiming to the masses who had come to see him. He has pulled back from them, and he has pulled close to Peter. You see, Jesus is the one initiating the call to discipleship. Jesus is always the one who initiates the call to discipleship. Peter is not looking to be a disciple. Peter doesn't even yet know what discipleship is. Uh, Peter is fishing. He is doing the only thing that he knows how to do and what he thinks he knows how to do well And yet here Jesus is pursuing Simon Peter and the other disciples even as he pulls back from the crowds and preaches to the crowds. Um, It's very interesting. Later on, and we'll see this essentially in um, in the essence of discipleship, but later Jesus will say to Peter in this account, All right, now kick out and let down your nets. And Peter basically says... No. Like, we've done that all night. We haven't caught anything. Um, uh, one theologian writes, As long as Simon's boat is being used for a pulpit, the owner has no objection to Jesus' saying in it what he likes. But when it reverts to being a fishing boat, it is Simon's once more. Isn't that interesting? As soon as it reverts back to being a fishing boat, Simon says, I've, I've let you use my boat for a pulpit. Now, no more. <laughs> and this... Theologian goes on to say, Jesus no longer has a say in how it is to be used. Isn't that interesting? Here in the call to discipleship, Jesus is just not calling men to say, hey, put your trust in me. I'm the Savior. I'll forgive your sins. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is essentially saying by calling Simon Peter to kick out into the waters and let down his net, he is saying discipleship is holistic in nature, that it is everything, It is your occupation. It is every facet of your life. Jesus isn't just Lord over some things. He is Lord over everything. And when he calls men, he calls men in the state in which he finds them. And he shows them that the call is so much more than, hey, just come to church on Sunday. That's not the call to discipleship. The call to discipleship is not give some money to the church. Uh, Help out with this. Help out with that. That's not the call to discipleship. Jesus is teaching Peter and teaching us that the call to discipleship is a call for the entirety of the life. Um, We'll actually see here at the end of this passage that Peter understands that at the end after Jesus deals with him and teaches him about the essence of discipleship because Peter will leave the fishing boats. Um, Michael Card, the Christian musician, has this great song, and I love these lines. There sits Simon, foolish and wise, proudly he's mending his nets. Jesus calls, and the boats drift away, and all that he owns he forgets. That's, that's what's happening. Jesus is calling Peter and the other disciples to a life of entire discipleship, complete and whole devotion. He's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, there cannot be your fishing boat for me on Sunday and your fishing boat for you the rest of the week. Um, Now, David Gooding, a Greek scholar, noted, here is the Lord of fish and fishermen, the Lord of nature, the Lord of men, and the Lord of their daily work. Isn't that awesome? You see, the call to discipleship is, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. The call to discipleship is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The call to discipleship is, if you put your trust in him, you will never be put to shame. The call to discipleship is, there is salvation in no other name under heaven than that name which is given, which is Jesus Christ. But the call to discipleship, as we are already seeing, is a call to the whole of the life, down to our daily work being set apart for the Lord Jesus and the glory of God. Well, notice as we look at the essence that there there is first initial conversion. It seems from this account that Peter is not yet converted. He doesn't yet know who Jesus is. This is the first time that we hear Simon Peter acknowledge what he is, acknowledge who Jesus is, That's going to be almost a process throughout those three years that the disciples are with Jesus. They are are continually learning who Jesus is. They are continually learning who they are. Um, Jesus deals patiently with us in the essence of discipleship. But a true disciple, and let me say this this morning, no one is a true disciple unless you have been brought from death to life, unless you have been convicted of your sins deeply, unless you have seen that Jesus is the Lord over all and God over all, and unless you have seen that great distance between the holiness of God and your own sinfulness, and God has reached down into your soul, and he has taken out the heart of stone, and he has given you a heart of flesh. And as we sang this morning, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is, that is the first and most significant thing about true discipleship. Um, J.C. Ryle, the 19th century Anglican theologian, uh, once made the statement about Jesus teaching in John 3, unless a man is born again, he, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. It's an, it's an absolute impossibility. It's an ontological impossibility. Your being cannot see the kingdom of god unless you're born again and ryle said contemplating those things that jesus said he said a man can can lack knowledge in many things in theology and yet to be ignorant of the things in john chapter three and of the new birth is to be on the broad road that leads to destruction a man may lack many things in theology and yet be saved But to be ignorant of these things is to be on the broad road that leads to destruction. Well, notice as Luke gives us this account and he begins to unfold, he shows us first Jesus giving Simon instruction. Uh, Simon Peter is not yet converted, but he's being instructed. Jesus is, in a sense, he's testing Simon Peter. He says to Peter, go out and, and put your boat out and put down your net. Now, keep in mind, Simon Peter... Is a rough shod fisherman. He smells like fish. He's been up all night. He's frustrated. He's caught nothing. And if you are a professional fisherman and you have caught nothing, think the great catch, the Alaska Show, whatever it is, that's Simon Peter. Hasn't shaved maybe in months. Um, rough-shod. and here is this religious rabbi, and he's preaching to people. He's not a professional fisherman. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your boat out, and I want you to let down your net. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I am going to guess that if that was you in the place of Simon Peter, or if it was me, our natural reaction would be, no, that's nuts. I'm not going out. I've been out there all night. Who are you? That, that would be the natural reaction. Here's Jesus, religious leader, no fishing experience whatsoever that we know of. He is the Lord of fish. He will make a fish come and bring a coin to him to pay the temple tax. He made all the fish. He's God of God. He's God of all the animals. But, but visibly, he doesn't look like a roughshod fisherman who would know what he's doing. We have no reason to believe that. Here's Peter, professional, trained, wise, skilled. You know, I've learned a little bit over the years from some of you, but also from my father-in-law, about how skillful people can become with fishing. When I, whenever I go and take the boys to the farm, and whatever season it is, um, he'll give us a different lure, and I'll say, well, the bass are biting the green bellies <laughs> during this season, or he'll give us one with a yellow underside or a red one. My boys are probably telling me I'm getting it all wrong. They're back there nodding no. And, uh, but he does stuff like, <laughs> like this, and, uh, and then they go out and they catch these huge bass. And, and I, sometimes I've thought, it, you know, does he have this telepathic connection with the fish? He knows what kind of fish they're going to eat. No, he's learned the trade. Here's Peter. Peter knows the trade. He knows what to do, and he hasn't been able to do the only thing that he thinks he knows how to do. And here's Jesus telling him, now I want you to do what I want you to do. And Peter's first inclination would be your first inclination. Notice Peter said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. (laughs) Listen, we've been out all night, and we hadn't caught anything. Um, This is classic Simon Peter. This is why so many of us find affinity with Simon Peter. Simon Peter is, he is so flawed, so deeply flawed. Um... I find much comfort. Simon Peter's the kind of man you could put your hands on his shoulder and feel bumps and know what you're getting. He's impulsive. He's quick. He's a know-it-all. He's going to tell Jesus what he knows. He, he does this repeatedly through the Gospels. And then he becomes fearful and he denies Jesus. And, and in every way, we are Simon Peter by nature. I think that's why so many and why so much of the New Testament is focused on Jesus' dealings with him. And here, uh, Peter's first response is essentially no. And then he has a shift and he has a change of mind. And, and Simon says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, Peter is showing that God is doing something in his heart. Um, Peter is pulling himself back. His initial response with sort of resistance. And then Peter's second response is, well, master, by the way, that that is a very reverent title for him to give Jesus at this point. He calls him his master. Master, at your word, we'll let down the nets one more time because you have said so. We want to obey you now. Don't miss this. The essence of discipleship is obedience to God's word specifically centering on Jesus. Now that obedience does not justify you. That obedience does not give you a right to heaven. God does not look at obedience in his people and say, this one is is now righteous enough to go to heaven. All of that is only because of what Jesus has done. But Jesus says in the Gospels, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here's, Here's how men will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another because I have commanded you love one another and, and walk in paths of righteousness and I'll lead you as your shepherd and your keeper and your maker and your master and your Lord and Redeemer I'll, and your king and your priest and your prophet. I will, I will do those things for you so that you can obey, but no one who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus who has no interest in obeying the Lord Jesus is a true disciple. The essence of true discipleship is Wherever he goes, I will follow. What he says, even though I falter, even though I fail, even though many times I don't obey him, I go back to him and I say, Lord, at your word. Isn't that beautiful? At your word. What is the essence of a disciple of Jesus? At your word. We will let down our nets. Um, Now, no sooner, notice, (laughs) notice what Luke says, um, no sooner had they done it that they, they brought in a huge, and the large is probably, it's more of a Donald Trump huge, huge number of fish, not promoting Donald Trump, I'm just saying it was huge, huge number of fish, uh, so much so that the boats begin to sink, and other boats come from about 20 meters away, probably, two other boats come over, so many fish, uh, one man actually says maybe literally a ton of fish, and the boats begin to sink, there's so many, they've been out all night, no fish. They can't do the one thing that they think they know how to do. But the second Jesus says, let down your net, they bring in the greatest catch they've had. Um, by the way, that is a really marvelous thing on one hand. And yet as I think about it and who Jesus is and what he's able to do and what else he does, it's a pretty pretty small thing, actually. It is simultaneously miraculous and somewhat seemingly insignificant um, to enable his disciples to do the thing that they thought they knew how to do. Um, Now, all of what Luke is doing is moving to Peter's response in verse 8. Notice that. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, um, there is so much here. Uh, one, one thing that you may not have thought of is Peter doesn't care about the boat. Doesn't care about his business. Doesn't care. That was everything he cared about. Before this day, the only thing Peter probably cared about other than his family were the condition of the fishing boats, when Jesus comes, they're, they're cleaning the boat. They're mending the nets. They're, they're doing those things, taking care of the boat. The boats are sinking, and Peter doesn't care. That's amazing. Don't miss that. When, when we see who Jesus is and God begins to deal with us, it's as if everything else is insignificant. Everyone around us is insignificant at that moment. Everything we cared about is very, very, very insignificant. Peter doesn't even care if he loses his livelihood, as it were, because Jesus is dealing with his heart and making him a true disciple and showing him who he is and dealing in a marvelously gracious way with Peter. Now, Peter's response is a bit of a spontaneous and impulsive um, act of repentance. He, he, he doesn't care about the boats he doesn't he's not worried about the other men that he's fishing with the only thing he cares about is jesus and he falls down on his knees and he cries out the first thing he can say is depart from me O lord for i am a sinful man now there is in peter's statement something commendable necessary for discipleship absolutely fundamental and there is something um, that, that should be corrected about his response. Now, If that doesn't confuse you, follow me. There's something very necessary about the response. No one is a true disciple unless they have seen how sinful they are. Peter doesn't say, depart from me, Lord. I know that you know about some of the bad things that I've done. He doesn't say, Depart from me, Lord. I know that you know those perplexing sins that I really struggle with, those particular ones, and, and you know what they are. He says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The whole of his person. He says, The whole of me. I am a sinful man. And this is the same confession that David makes in Psalm 51 when having committed adultery with Bathsheba, having premeditated the murder of Uriah, having. having Committed those great atrocities before all of Israel. He doesn't say, Lord, forgive me for taking another man's wife. Forgive me for murdering one of my faithful confidants and mighty men. He doesn't say that first. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David said, Behold, I am a sinful man. When God showed himself to Isaiah in the throne room of heaven, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple, and, he, and, and Isaiah was undone, and he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I am every bit as sinful as everyone else, and the whole of me is unworthy. That's, if you, if you forget everything else I say this morning, please do not leave this place without asking yourself, have I ever come to this place where I have said to the Lord, Lord, I am a sinful man. I am a sinful woman. I'm a sinful boy. I am a sinful girl. There is no true discipleship apart from that. Um. Where is Peter to be criticized in all of this? Because he is. Um, Phil Reichen says, When we see our sin, we do not need to run away from Jesus. This is a beautiful thought. When we see our sin... We do not need to run away from Jesus. This is what Peter tried to do. Sometimes we feel the same way. When we finally see how sinful we really are, it is only natural for us to feel that we do not deserve to come into God's presence. We are too guilty to be where God is. Reichen says this is exactly why Jesus came. He came to bring us close to God by dying on the cross for our sins. Our sinful, guilty hearts want to push Jesus away, but rather than push him away, we should hold on to him Asking for the forgiveness that only he can offer. That's a beautiful thought. Jesus is going to correct Peter. He's going to say, don't be afraid. He's going to say, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He's going to go to the cross for Peter's sinfulness. That's why Peter doesn't have to feel like Jesus needs to go away. You see, at that moment, Peter's looking at his sin. He realizes who Jesus is. He realizes this is no mere man. He realizes this is the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the sea, the Lord over everything. He realizes all of that. But you know what Peter is doing wrong here? And we do this, as Reichen has said. He's thinking legally about his sin. Jesus is thinking in legal categories. He's thinking, if I could just clean myself up, then Jesus would receive me. I'm going to say this this morning, and this may sound shocking, because Jesus demands your repentance and my repentance. He preached repentance. He said, repent or perish. So no repentance, no life. And yet, Jesus doesn't receive us because we repent. Listen very carefully. Jesus does not receive us because we repent. We repent in going to him, going as sinners, knowing, as the Bible said, that when we were without help, without strength, hopeless, helpless, sinful, enemies, alienated from God, hostile to God, in the far country of depravity, dead in sins and trespasses, our minds darkened, our hearts darkened, our wills bent toward evil. At that moment, only those people are the people that Jesus receives because every one of us are those people. Um, Peter is not thinking about the graciousness of Jesus. He's not thinking about the work of redemption. He's merely thinking in creator-creature categories, and that should terrify us. But here is God in the flesh, God who came to draw sinners like us to himself. That means whatever sin is in your life, number one, you're vastly worse than whatever you think about yourself. I love that quote by Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, If any man thinks ill of you... Don't worry, you're so much worse than he knows. And take, take heart. Uh, Luther would often say, when the devil comes to, to convict me of my sin and to condemn me and to accuse me, I, I say, oh devil, thank you. I say, thank you for accusing me of being a sinner, he said, because Jesus came to d- die for sinners and I'm a sinner. And that's, that's what Jesus is wanting to teach Peter. Now, very interesting. Peter... Does not hear from the Lord. Peter. Your sins are forgiven you. This is fascinating by the way. Because I just told you. That Jesus came into the world to forgive Peter's sins. And the sins of his people. And Jesus often said to people that were fearful. And yet trusting and coming to him. Don't be afraid. Your sins are forgiven you. He doesn't say that to Peter. He goes straight to the work of discipleship. Isn't that marvelous? Look at this. Notice this. Peter says that. Luke explains why they were astonished at the catch of fish. And then in verse 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were there with him. And Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Why does Jesus jump from Peter saying, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, all the way over to don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here's, here's why. Peter is not just thinking about himself individually. He's not just thinking, I'm not worthy to come into the presence of God. He's not just thinking, Jesus isn't going to receive me or forgive me. He's actually not thinking about that at all. What Peter is thinking about at that moment beyond that is, I'm too sinful for Jesus to use me. I'm too sinful to be a disciple. I'm too sinful to have any usefulness in the kingdom of God. that's Jesus knows why Peter's saying what he's saying. And and my friends, this is marvelous comfort. Because I think like Simon Peter all the time, and I bet if you're a Christian, you have had times where you think like this. How could Jesus use me this week when I've had so much sin in my life? How can Jesus use me this morning when my wife and I got in a fight, we didn't. We drive separately. But it's a Christian, as my best friend said, it's a Christian tradition to have a fight on the way to church with your spouse. It's a long-standing Christian tradition. How can God use me to minister to someone in church when we had a drop-down, yelling, going-for-the-throat fight in the car? Or a thousand other ways that we think like this. And Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, because I am the Savior, because I have taken your sin, because I am going to the cross for you, because I came into this world to be a fisher of men and to make men who belong to me, my disciples, to be co-laborers with me. I am going to make you a fisher of men. Now, there is so much here, by the way. There are, there are 30 others. Th- I'm not going to preach for another 30 minutes, but I could. There is so much more um, what perfect wisdom that Jesus comes to men who think the only thing they know how to do is to catch fish, and he uses that as a spiritual analogy of what he was going to make them to do and work in them. And, and he takes their occupation, he says, Now I'm going to make you skillful fishermen of people. Thomas Boston, a great Scottish theologian of the. 18th century, had to reach there for a second, uh, wrote a little pamphlet called The Art of Man Fishing. The art of man fishing. Now, I think Boston goes a little too far in trying to draw out all the analogies and how men are like fish and how they don't like to surface when there's storms about them and, and how when they're, they're in sin, they like to go down to the depths of the pond and they like to hide out. I think he spiritualizes too much. But Jesus is spiritualizing this. He's saying, listen, I'm going to help you understand exactly what discipleship is based on what you already understand in the natural world. I'm going to explain it in the spiritual world. Remember what I told you at the beginning. The first thing God says to man is have dominion over the fish. The first thing Jesus says to his disciples is you are going to catch men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Their minds would have gotten it. They would have understood. Jesus is saying, look, I've come into this world in one very real sense, to bring the natural and the spiritual together and to make you fruitful in a way way beyond anything. Because the only fruitfulness that Peter thought he knew was the fruitfulness of going out and catching fish. And Jesus is saying, I am going to make you so much more fruitful than that. Now here's what's fascinating. You have initial conversion. After the call to discipleship, you have initial conversion, conviction of sin, manifestations of Jesus' power. You have Jesus... Now, uh, correcting wrong views that are mixed with right conviction, and he is saying, I'm going to make you useful. And here's the most astonishing thing. Jesus is going to have to do this in Peter's life, not just at initial conversion, but in that post-resurrection account. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. There's almost the exact same account at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus has been risen. He showed himself to his disciples already two times. They're sort of downcast. Peter's lost hope. Peter's kind of the leader of the apostolic band in a sense, not in a papal sense, but in a Bible sense. And, uh, and he is uh, he's downcast, you know. So Jesus is risen. Now what? Jesus hasn't yet instructed them over that 40-day period. He hasn't yet poured out his spirit on them at Pentecost and, and then made Peter into that great men when he preached the gospel and 3,000 were converted in one day under the ministry of the gospel through Peter. But, but and this is so important, remember Peter denies Jesus and he isn't restored until after the second great account where Jesus enables his disciples to get a great catch of fish and reveal himself afresh to Peter. And then he has that dialogue with Peter. Do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? He said, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter grieved, cried out, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, I think that account is coupled with that great catch of fish in John 21 that are bookends of Peter's experience with Jesus initially and then ongoing to show us that true disciples often stumble, fall, backslide, have times of rebellion, times of weakness, times of fear, times of doubt. And yet, if we are true disciples, Jesus condescends and he comes and he says, I'm going to restore you. And I'm going to make you so much more useful than you could ever imagine. You know, it's marvelous to see that transition, isn't it? Peter denies Jesus outside the court, warming himself at the fire while the Savior is being led off to judgment and to be crucified. And, and then Peter, this is so powerful, the same Simon Peter who outside of the court of the high priest is denying the Savior is inside that court in Acts chapter 4, preaching the gospel to the very men that condemned Jesus. Boldly. Unashamed. He's essentially saying, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. I'm going out. I'm going to be the disciple that Jesus has called me to be. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. By the way, very important, as we kind of close out of this this morning, one of the Unique, and I do think that this is intended, you can have all the skill in the world as a fisherman and go out and have many, many, many nights like Simon Peter had in this account in Luke chapter 4 where you catch nothing. I've been out with some of you who are skillful, shrimping, only to get like six to eight little scrawny shrimp, and you know what you're doing, (laughs) Um, because if God doesn't, even in the natural world, and that is what Jesus is teaching them in their work, in their day in and day out work, even what you think you know how to do, you can't do without Jesus's power and blessing. Um, even in the natural world. Now, in the supernatural world, in the church, in discipleship, here's the lesson. I want to be a fisher of men. I have many times drawn in my nets, Empty. Um, I have many times been too fearful to go out. I'm sure that's true for you. Because the lesson is, unless the Lord Jesus enables you to catch men, you'll never catch men. All of the success, that's the point of him showing them that even their success with the nets and the fish, here and in John 21, all of that is dependent on his blessing. All of your ability to go and make disciples is dependent on him adding his blessing. I'm going to close with this thought for you. Um, Phil Reichen, in his sermon on this, closed out by saying, our business is to fish for men. I want you to listen very carefully. Our business is to fish for men. This means supporting the mission of the church locally and globally. It means inviting friends to church. It means praying for people in need. It means having a short gospel presentation ready to give at a moment's notice. It means praying for lost family members. It means getting involved with ministries to share the gospel. Ryken says, cast your net into the teeming shoals of humanity and see what God will catch by his sovereign grace. I love that. Cast your nets into the teeming shoals of humanity and see what God will catch by his sovereign grace. I'm going to ask several things here as we close. First, are you a disciple? Have you, have you heard the call of Jesus? Are you sort of like Peter there at the beginning when you're willing to open your home for a Bible study or to, for Jesus to be proclaimed somewhere or to give some money to a certain ministry, but you really haven't seen who he is, and you really haven't seen who you are? and you really haven't come to that deep place of conviction and brokenness, that is absolutely essential. If that has never happened to you, I am begging you that you would go home and say, Lord, do that for me. Do for me what you did for Simon Peter. Do it in my soul because you must do it. Um, If you have never done that, you are not a disciple. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how much you've served. It doesn't matter how much you've given. Those and only those who have seen who Christ really is and have seen who they really are and have gone to him, even with mixture, as Peter did, are true disciples. Secondly, I want to ask you if you are a true disciple. You've come to Jesus. You're trusting in him. You love the Lord Jesus. You would cry out with Peter if Jesus said to you, Do you love me? You know I love you. You would say, You know all things, Lord. You know that I love you, if that's you. And yet, like Peter, you find yourself failing and faltering and weak and broken. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God can sometimes give us, and I say this very cautiously, is backsliding. It can actually be one of the greatest gifts from God. Um, William Still said that when God places his hand heavy upon you because you've been backsliding and you wriggle and you wiggle, And you squirm because you don't like his hand on you. Know that he is guiding you and restoring you back to his son. Just like he did Peter. It's one of the greatest kindnesses to show us how sinful we continue to be. How much we need the Savior. How much we need the gospel. And then third, I want to say to you that uh, a crucial part of the Christian life and the life of a disciple, a true disciple, is that we are to be fishers of men. No, evangelism is not a, uh, a, a sort of a, uh, well, maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't. Those people seem good at it. I'm not. Um, God has called ministers preeminently to be evangelists and to do the work of evangelism. But all Christians, every one of you is called to be going out and fishing men for Jesus, catching men and women and boys and girls for Jesus. You know, I had a weird experience this week as I, as I prepared this sermon and I went out, and you're probably going to laugh at me. I li- I, every time I was in a crowd, I literally was like, fish. <laughs> everywhere, fish, everywhere. You can go to the bank of a stream and sometimes see a random bass and you get all excited. Everywhere, everywhere you go, there's fish. Um, and Jesus wants you to be calling men and women to follow him and to know him. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would be merciful to us. Even as you were to Simon Peter, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would deal with us as you dealt with him, that you would convict us of sin, that you would remind us that though we are sinful men and women and boys and girls, yet there is work that you call us to. And we thank you that you are the mighty Savior who forgives our sins, who cleanses us from our sins, who builds us up and who again makes us useful. We pray that you would restore us and revive us. O Lord, our God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.